Paul for Junior Church. If you've got a young person who falls in that age range and you say, what goes on in Junior Church? Well, you're more than welcome to accompany them and see all the fun that they have. <clears throat> I don't like sad movies, and I don't like sad stories. Any of you like sad movies or sad stories? My wife will read the most depressing things in the world. And she, I remember she was reading this one book. It was a testimony of a woman who was caught in the wars in Iraq. And she was fleeing with her children. And there was no man to help her. And she had so many young children, she had to decide which of her children that she would leave behind in the desert as they ran from all of the explosions. And so she had to leave a, a, a toddler so that she could carry her babe in her arms and the older children could keep up. But she had, to, she had to leave this child behind. And my wife was telling me about this. And she's like, you should read this book. That's a hard pass for me. I, I am not going to read that book. You know why? Life is filled with enough sad stories. Life is filled with enough sad stories. If I'm going to read something and it's fiction, or if I'm going to watch something, and it's not educational, I want it to be entertaining and lighthearted. I don't, I don't want to be sad. But you know, there are some stories that are sad where there's things we learn in them that we would not learn otherwise. There's things that we can learn from the stories that have heartache in them that we don't learn in other places. What causes a person to fail? What causes a person to fail? Some people, when you look from the outside, they, they seem like they just succeed. And then other people, they just seem to never able to pull it together. They're never able to meet the requirement. They can never cut it. And you may ask yourself the question, whether it's with a career or education or wealth or uh, sports or their family life, are some people just doomed to fail? Or is there a cause behind it? Is there some principle behind it? Is there something we must know about life and God that determines whether we have a joyful story and a good ending or whether we may end up being one of those sad stories, a cautionary tale about what not to do? Well, God reveals to us the key to success of one of the greatest men that ever lived. And he also tells us what happened when he abandoned that key to success. So let us begin as we look at the life of Solomon, the wisest natural man who ever lived. And we're going to begin in 1 Kings chapter 2. If you have the word of God with you, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2 in verse number 1. 1 Kings chapter 2 in verse number 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying... I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne 
of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we come before your throne of grace to ask that you would help us. Let us see your charge that was given here by your servant David to Solomon. And let us take to heart the things in it that are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. A thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born in a manger, we have a different man that we're looking at. His name is Solomon. But one of the most important things about Solomon is who his father is. And his father is David, that King David that was the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the slayer of Goliath and the win winner of many wars. This, this David that we read about is one of the heroes of the Old Testament. He wasn't a perfect man. There were times when he wasn't where he was supposed to be and he did things he wasn't supposed to do. There were times when he let things go too long without dealing with them. But in general, if you were to look at the life of David, you would say that he was a godly man. By the way, one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is true and not something fabricated by man is because it includes the failures of its heroes. If someone was coming up with a story about God's man or God's men in his people and they wanted to lift up God, they would make sure that all of his followers were perfect and never did anything wrong. But it's included for us in Scripture, even David's downfall. So we have here David, and he's dying. David is dying, and he knows he's dying. He can't keep warm anymore. He's, he's unable to, to tend to the things of the kingdom like he was supposed to. In fact, Solomon almost missed out on becoming the next king because another one of David's sons, when David was just sort of wasting away, decided, hey, I'm just going to start calling myself king, get a bunch of people that used to follow David to follow me, and, and we're, just going to, we're just going to do this thing. Well, it wasn't too long after that that David did finally go through the coronation process to announce Solomon, his son, as his successor. He knew that he was dying, and he made plans because of it, including advising a successor. He says, now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, and in verse 2, the first part of it says, I go the way of all the earth. I go the way of all the earth. What a beautiful way of saying that I am dying just like everyone else is going to die, and everyone else before me has died. This is not a topic of conversation that most people enjoy talking about. In our culture, we do everything we can to hide death. We don't want to think about it. We think that if we do the right thing and we eat the right foods and we exercise the right way and we stay away from this and we go towards this, whatever that thing is at the time, whether it's essential oils or exercises or, or ice-cold baths or whatever the, the latest fad is, we think that somehow we can stave off death. I, I want to let you know that unless the Lord Jesus returns in our lifetime, he is going to return, by the way, but if he should tarry in our lifetime, that you and I will all pass into eternity through the doorway of death. And that is something that we all should consider. Not because it's comfortable, but because it's necessary. Not because it's comfortable, but because it's necessary. And when it was necessary, he, he realized here that I've got to tell Solomon some things. I only have so many days left. And I need to tell him the things that are important because he is going to have to stand in my stead. You see, Solomon was the chosen successor, not just by David, but by God as well. Would you look in 1 Chronicles? In 1 Chronicles 
22. I'll give you an extra moment because when you turn to 1 Chronicles, all the pages stick together in your Bible. Because very few times you're like, you know what? I need to hear from God. I'm turning to 1 Chronicles. Right? You'll turn to the Psalms. You'll turn to Proverbs. You'll turn to the Gospel of John. But not everybody turns to 1 or 2 Chronicles. But in 1 Chronicles, chapter number 22, in verse number 9, this prophecy that the Lord speaks to David concerning Solomon. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then shalt thou prosper, if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments with the Lord charged Moses." with Israel, concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. This Solomon is the son who was to take over after the great king David, and he was the chosen successor. And one of the things that David told him to do, especially back in our passage, but we also saw it in First Chronicles, he said, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Here's what he said. You need to be strong because I am dying. You need to be strong because my days are numbered. You need to be strong because I am no longer going to be here. I will no longer be the one leading the children of Israel. I will no longer be the one who is uh, bringing the word of the Lord to people as God led him, whether it was through Psalms or through the Lord speaking to him. I'm going to be gone and you need to be strong. And you ask yourself a question, what does it mean to be strong? What does it mean to be strong? Is this where you ask the question about what is your one rep max, your one rep max for your deadlift? Is this about how many miles you can run and what pace you can run it at? Is this about what your, your record is in all of your boxing matches that you fought? Is that the kind of strength that he's encouraging Solomon to have? And I would say, though there is virtue in honing the body and denying the flesh and exercising and taking care of this vessel. There's virtue inside of that. The kind of strength that Solomon would need would be different than the kind of strength that David needed. You see, David was not a man of rest. David was a man of war. He was a man of war. He, he fought the battles that God laid before him. He subdued the enemies of Israel just as sweet as he was uh, on the, the harp playing the Psalms of Israel, was he strong with a sword and with a bow in his hands. He said, God has taught my hands to war. He was a man of action. But Solomon would be a man of rest. And God would give him rest. And yet he still said, you need to be strong. Do you know why? Solomon's battle is not going to be against the Philistines. Solomon's battle was not going to be against the Moabites or any of the other uh, nations that plagued the children of Israel, his battle was going to be spiritual. His battle was going to be against great wickedness and temptation. It would be a moral battle that he would face. 
And as we would see, and I hate to, to give you the spoilers this early, he would fight that battle, and for a season in his life, he would lose. But before we find that out, David said, you need to be strong, and you need to show yourself a man. Now, that is not a very popular uh, statement today. Show thyself a man. We live in a day when uh, the roles of what a man is and does and what a woman is and does has been thrown into utter confusion. But I want you to know that apparently God says that you need to be a man. And God would encourage him to embody these virtues of whatever a man would have. In Scripture, we see the men that God praises are protectors. We see that they're providers, that they're morally stalwart, that they would resist evil and stand for good, that they would speak when others would be quiet, and that they would stand in the gap when other men would abandon. They were people of courage. They were people of faithfulness. And he said, it's time for you to prove that, to be the right kind of man. And he said, this is my charge to you. You need to be strong. How is he going to be strong? Well, he's going to be strong by standing on the truth of the word of God. Many people today are confused about who and what they are. I'm reading a heartbreaking book right now. I don't know why I'm reading it. I just said I don't do this, but this is a nonfiction book. It's heartbreaking. It's a nonfiction book. It, it is called Irreversible Damage. And it's a book about a craze that has found its way into preteen and young adolescent girls where they believe that they were born in the wrong body, and so now they need and are men. And in order to become this new persona that they believe that they have, they will take very harmful chemicals that almost guarantee that they get cancer, and they'll perform surgeries on their otherwise healthy body in order to try and turn themselves into something other than, than what they were born. And there is so many of them that afterwards regret it. And the emotional and the psychological toll that it places on them is absolutely heartbreaking. Now, there is a true mental illness that is called gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder, and it's usually something that you see inside of children between the ages of two and four, it manifests, and the parents are able to see that there's something unusual that's going on. These are not those people that have the, the, the mental illness. These are people that have, through uh, social media, have connected with uh, certain gurus that push a certain idea that if you do this, you will become this special class of person that is celebrated and that is brave and you will belong and we will stand for you and there's a battle to fight and you need to be this thing. You need to be. And young ladies have flocked to almost take pacts with their friends in order to do this to themselves. And the damage that it, it rings upon them is... is is truly disturbing. The suicidality that accompanies these things is truly disturbing. The answer is not who am I, what am I? The answer is what would please the Lord? What would please the Lord? See, their, their need for God is showing itself in other symptoms. Some people in their disconnection from God and the fact that they, they do not know him as Savior, 
They, they manifest it perhaps in running after achievement and success, or perhaps after pleasure and comfort, or after material possessions, or perhaps after illicit pleasures they run after, or drugs or alcohol. They find some way in order to deal with the disconnection that they have with God, because you and I were designed to live in relationship and close fellowship with God. We were hardwired to have that relationship, and because of the sin of the human race, and because of our own individual sin, we've separated ourselves from God, and the reason that they don't feel like they belong and that they're not what they're supposed to be is because they have not yet found the redeeming love of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not found the true life that's inside of him, the thing that will make them feel that they belong, that they're a part of God's family, that will deal with this longing that they have. It just manifests itself in different generations in different ways. And when he says here to be a man, this is not some idea that's toxic. He's saying about the good things that characterize a godly man, you need to be those things. Ladies, the good things that characterize a godly woman, you need to be those things. You are perfect just the way that God made you. And not every man is like every other man. And not every woman is like every other woman. And the strength that Solomon needed was not perhaps the strength to wield an axe while wearing a, a lumberjacking outfit and his bulging muscles. It was going to be something different than that. It was a strength of mind and more importantly of soul and spirit that he would need. And he was charged to do this. It's similar to the charge that Moses gave to Joshua in Deuteronomy. Would you look there with me? In Deuteronomy chapter 31. Just like David is charging Solomon, Moses charged Joshua, his successor. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, in verse number 23. And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. I will be with thee, the Lord said unto him. Look in Joshua just a book over in Joshua chapter 1, if you'd look there in verse number 9. Well-known passages. And see, this is very interesting because Joshua was already a man of war. And when it was time in the battle of Rephidim for the children of Israel to defend themselves from those that were attacking them from behind and, and in the front, it was Aaron and Hur that held up the hands of Moses. But you know who was leading the battle down on the ground? It was Joshua. He'd already fought his fights, and so we know we're not just talking about strength of arms because Joshua had already demonstrated that. In chapter 1, in verse number 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. It's one thing to tell somebody to be strong. It's another thing to actually figure out, how do I do that? How do I be strong? How does that work? Well, it says here in verse number 9, For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. The truth of strength in God is not about us getting stronger. It's not about our strength becoming greater. The truth about strength in God is us relying more upon the Lord. It's about us admitting our weakness and understanding our weakness. In Psalm 18, 
Would you look there in Psalm 18? Actually, I have a few verses. I'm just going to read them for you for time's sake. I'm going to read them for us in time's sake. In Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Do you know how I have, do you know how you can have the courage to stand in a society that becomes more and more wicked every day? Do you know how we can stand against people that are not leveling charges at us like, wow, you're so holy and we hate that. No, we live in a world where they call good evil and evil good. And when we stand for things that are right, they're claiming we're standing for things that are wrong. And when we're doing things that are virtuous, they claim that we're standing for things like hate and bigotry. When we stand in a world like that, and so many voices condemn what it is that we do, and those voices will only get louder, and the tide will only rush against us stronger, and the grain will only become more difficult to push against, how do we find strength? Is because that we know that we do not stand alone. We do not stand alone because God is with us, and he will not fail us, and he will not forsake us. You will never have a day where God does not show up. You will never have a day where God fails you, where he abandons you, where he's off. You've had that experience, perhaps at work, and you need to get a hold of somebody desperately because there's a real problem. Something has broken, something has gone wrong, somebody didn't show up, and you call, and you call, and you get no answer, and you're left with this mess. And you say, now I've got to deal with this on my own, and I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. You will never have that day with God. He does not sleep, he does not slumber, he does not change. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. God is our strength. It says in Psalm 18, verse 17, He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. This sounds so unusual to say it, but when he was telling him to be strong, when David was charging Solomon to be strong, it was not in his own strength, but it was in the strength of the Lord. Because the, the fact of the matter for us daily is it's too much for us. The battle is too great for thee. The journey is too great for thee. Even the archangel Michael, when it came time to deal with the devil, he said, the Lord rebuke thee. The archangel Michael, with all of his power, when he came up against the great enemy, the great adversary, he, even he called in reinforcements. And he said, I'm going to lead you to God. I'm going to tell God on you. Because my enemy is too strong for me. You and I face this every day. Paul learned this truth in 2 Corinthians. I will have us turn there. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was a man who accomplished much for the work of God. Many people were saved because of his ministry. Many churches were started. Much of the New Testament is attributed to his hand, though we know it's the Spirit of God who is the author. But in 2 Corinthians... Chapter 12, in verse number 9. Paul dealt with health issues. We don't know exactly what they were. Some people think it was his eyesight. But it was something that he thought he would be better without. And he asked God three times in different seasons of prayer and different efforts that God would remove it. And in verse number 9, we find God's answer. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, this is the truth that seems so counterintuitive to the world because it's all about your own strength, your own strength of character. But with Christians, we understand that our strength is the Lord. Now, there's a little bit of a difference here that I think is important. God doesn't just give me strength. He is my strength. God doesn't just give me strength. He is my strength. There's something deeper than that. He doesn't just train me on how to fight and how to stand and send me out to battle. He doesn't just give me the best equipment and send me out to spiritual warfare. He actually goes with me. And a great prayer we find in the Old Testament is, Lord, fight against them that fight against me. And the Lord of hosts, who is a warrior himself, shows up to battle to be our strength. He was going to have to be a strong man, and the way that he would know that he was succeeding, the pathway of blessing was laid before him in verse number 3, back in 1 Kings 2. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Do what it is that God asks of you. Keep the charge, the things that God commands you, the things that he sets out before you, do those things. To walk in his ways. To keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies. He says God is going to set a path for you. He's going to show you the right direction to go. Go in that direction. Go in the path that the Lord sets before you. His statutes, his regulations, the things that need to be observed as far as right and wrong, keep those, guard them. When he commands you, do it. We don't live in a society that loves to be commanded. I don't know that people have ever lived in a society where they liked to be commanded. I think that the rebellious, fleshly part of every man, woman, boy, and child doesn't want to be told what to do. You get excited over the word obey. Hands up. Anybody? No? No, nobody gets excited. I don't get excited over the word obey, right? How many of you got a look, those of you that were married and in your vows, the word obey was in there? How many of you got a look from your spouse when that happened? To obey? Eyebrow goes up. Nobody loves that word, but he's saying you need to be careful, Solomon, because whether your story ends up as a joyful one with an ending like David who has someone of his lineage to sit upon the throne or whether your story ends up sad like Saul's story ended up sad, King Saul before David. It's going to depend on what you do with God's word and your obedience to it. Whether it's his commandments, his testimonies, his judgments as written in the law of Moses. This is how much Bible that they were referring to and had at this time. And he said, I want you to know that these things that God set out, this is how you determine which way you go, how you know what's right and wrong, and how you know what ought to be done and ought not to be done. There is no lack of opinion being shouted around us, is there? No lack of opinion on what you ought to do or what you ought not to do, on what's true and what's false. You know, we live in a world where it's hard to even know what's true. 
How many of you have developed a sense of skepticism for just about anything that you read or listen to or watch from a news agency? Anybody develop a sense of skepticism? You bunch of conspiracy theorists, what's wrong with you? Well, after you've been lied to enough times from it seemingly everybody, you start to worry that maybe what they're saying is not true. Now when I hear something on the news and they condemn it, I immediately think, I bet it's not that bad. And when they champion something, I think that's probably directly out of the pits of hell. Isn't that funny how, how easily you can lose faith in something? We need something we can base our lives on, and it is the Word of God. Everyone has opinions. What do they say? Opinions are like armpits. Everyone has a couple and they stink, right? That's the old saying. We need more than opinions. You need more than my opinion. You need to know what the Word of God says. If you wonder why my, my preaching has a lot to turn to the Bible, read what the Bible says, explain what the Bible says, and apply the Bible as it says it. If you wonder why I don't do anything different, it's because who in the world am I to tell you how to live your life? Who in the world am I when I have my own struggles and my own problems? Do, do you know the authority that I speak from? is not that I have the perfect life or the perfect marriage or the perfect family or, or do the perfect job at my work. It's because of the authority of the Word of God. And he said, Solomon, I'm telling you, it's going to be based on what you do with what is written in Scripture as to whether or not you succeed or fail. As to whether or not you succeed or fail. Because it says in verse number 3, it says that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. He said, if you want to prosper, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have God's stamp of approval, if you want to have success, whatever that looks like, in any area, in any endeavor, and think about, if you're a king, all the areas that you have to succeed in. In governing your people and the economics of it and the logistics of it and making sure everyone has food and the defense of it the building up of these cities that he's going to do, the, the labor of love that he'll do for the temple of God, for making sure that the people know what they should do and how worship should be conducted, all that he was going to have to do to be a good king. This man needed the blessing of God. And you and I, though we are not kings or queens or monarchs of any kind, we need the blessing of God. We need to know what is right and wrong and true and false what ought to be done and ought not to be done, so that we can walk in the pathway of blessing, because every day I am reminded that it's too much for me. Every day I'm reminded that it's too much for me. I cannot be the Christian I'm supposed to be. I cannot be the husband or the father or the employee or the citizen that I'm supposed to be. I cannot be any of those things without the blessing of God. If God's not in his rightful place, nothing else in our lives will be in its rightful place. And so he says, look, because this is the determining factor on whether or not you are going to experience the blessing of God. Now, I want you to know that he was not asking Solomon to be perfect. Because David had no grounds upon which he could say that either. And yet he knew the blessings of the Lord. David messed up at times, but in repentance, he returned to the Lord. And when called out, he did the right thing. And he returned back to God. He says... If you want prosperity and blessing, it will be dependent upon your efforts of obedience. Deuteronomy 11.8, let me read some more verses for you. Therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, 
that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land whither ye go to possess it. This was told to the children of Israel before they entered into the promised land where now there was a king ruling over it, King David, and now King Solomon. And before they ever entered in, he said, this is how you are going to win this war. This is how you're going to get this land is whether or not you follow what I have set out as the path for you. Proverbs 13, 15. Let's look there. Proverbs 13, 15. In Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. You know what it means to transgress? To step over the line, to sin. The way God says, don't step over it, and we step right over it. That's a transgressor. You have trespassed where you ought not go. And it says, if you do that, things are going to be hard. Now, you may ask yourself the question, if I obey God, does that mean I'll have no problems? <laughs> no, because not all problems come from God. You see, we live in a broken world, and broken things happen in a broken world. We're surrounded by broken people who do broken things. And though by the time their sin and the consequences of their sin reaches us, we know that it's passed through the hands of God. He's allowed it to go across his desk and to meet us. We understand that that's the world that we live in. But it's very different to deal with the hardships of life versus having God actively resist you. It's very different having the hardships of life versus God actively resisting you. The pathway of blessing. And by the way, we don't have to convince God to bless us. He actually wants to bless us. He is sitting there waiting for the opportunity. He wants to pour out his blessings, but there's only a certain place where he'll pour out those blessings. That's the pathway of obedience. Thankfully, God is our strength to walk that path if we lean and rely upon him. There's a condition. There's a condition to the promise that was made to Solomon. Here, here it was. God will prosper you wherever you turn, whatever you do. In verse number four, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. God will keep this line on the throne in power if, condition, if they follow after God with all of their heart and with all of their soul. The reason that this story turns sad is not what's going to be found in the next sermon or even the sermon after that. But there comes a time in Solomon's life where he turns away from what God commands him to do, where he allows his heart to be drawn away, where he dabbles with something too dangerous. And instead of fleeing from it, he embraces it. And he's caught in a snare by it, like a trap that was sprung upon him. Because he played around with fire and he got burned by it. Thinking perhaps he was too wise or too accomplished or too rich or too powerful. He didn't have to obey God anymore because he had reached a place in his life where he knew all of that stuff. That suddenly he didn't have to obey it. It is possible to finish wrong even though you started right. 
it is possible to finish wrong even though you started right. That is one of the things that makes the story of King Solomon so sad. That is one of the things that makes it so sad. But before we get to the rest of the story, let's draw some conclusions, some applications, some practical points for you and I today. The first thing is to make peace with your death. To make peace with your death. David knew he was dying. He knew he was dying. He said, I go the way of all the earth. You know what that means? Nobody gets out of here alive. I'm not just talking about church this morning. Don't panic. You and I have only so many days on this earth. And if we don't think about that, then we don't worry about it. If we don't think about it, we don't worry about it. So, for example, don't worry, Miss Sandy. This is just an example. You don't have to panic. I've been told that on this American Express card, there is no real set limit. As long as you pay it off, you can put just about anything you want on there. Right? So if somebody were to tell you, here, this has no limit on it. Here you go. This has no limit on it. How are you going to treat it? Right? How are you going to treat it? Well, you're just going to keep swiping it and tapping it and entering it in and ordering and ordering and ordering with it like there's no end because you were told there's no limit. But what if instead of being given this, you were given this? You say, well, how much is there? There's a limited amount. Maybe it's 100. Maybe it's 80. Maybe it's 70. Who knows how much we have been given. But when you know there's a limited amount, you will spend it differently. When you know that there's a limited amount, you'll spend it differently. It's not just going to be tap, tap, swipe, chip, read, tap, swipe, chip, read. No, you're going to do something a little bit different because you're going to know that there is an end to what's been put in front of you. We have to make peace with the fact that we only have so long. I'm not here to try and discourage you. I'm here to get you ready so that you have the very best day of your life when you die. I want you to have the very best day of your life when you die because that will be your graduation. That will be your home going. That will be entering into the abundance of the riches that you've sent on ahead when you step into the presence of the Lord. Once you are there believing, breathing that celestial air, seeing the one upon whom you believed, seeing the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, that can be a wonderful day, and it ought to be, if you're ready to meet him. If you're ready to meet him. This isn't a question of whether or not you're a member of this church or any other church, or whether you've been baptized or catechized or christened or any other religious rite. It's whether or not you know for sure that your sins are forgiven because you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and be your Savior. Do you believe that he died for your sins and rose from the grave? If you do and you've called on him for salvation, the Bible promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise of God. You see, if we think we're going to live forever, then we'll push off the decision to get right with God. I'll do that some other time. I'm a little embarrassed right now. I'm a little busy right now. I kind of like my sin right now and I don't want to stop. I'll put it off till another day. But what if there is no other day? What if today is the last day? 
somebody, somewhere, I don't know where it is, I don't know when it will happen or the conditions of it, but just by sheer numbers, someone somewhere in this world today will leave church and will not make it home. Just because of the sheer numbers, that's got to be the case, whether it's an automobile accident or a heart attack. Someone somewhere will leave. I want you to think about that. What if it's me? What if it's you? You say, I don't really want to think about that. I know. Me neither. But it's time to think about it. David thought about it, and David knew that he was ready to meet the Lord, but he also knew that he had a, a charge to keep and to pass on to his son. He had a successor. He, he wanted to, to do right even with the last few of his days. Someone has once said that there's no success without a successor. There's no success without a successor. Are you training the next generation in your home to walk in the ways of the Lord? Are you investing in the lives of those that are around you that they might continue on if something should happen to you? The, the Johnsons are traveling this morning, but when we were traveling together in India... Randy and I were chatting, and he says that he's so thankful that God had connected the church and the college up in West Bengal with Brother Summers and his church in, in Michigan, and so thankful that God has connected the church and the college in Ukrul with our church. Because he says, what if I die? Who will know that these men and women are there laboring? Who will understand that there's a great work going on that needs to be prayed for and needs to be supported? He, he, was, he was in tears as, as we spoke last Sunday morning about everything that's going because he, he sees that things will continue on. And I'm not saying Brother Randy's about to, to die or he's about to come off the mission field. Nothing like that was in the conversation. But he wanted to make sure that God's work would continue. And he thought ahead about that. Pastor Jenkins thought ahead about that. So many churches have so many problems when, when the pastor, who's been there for a while, retires or steps down or is moved, but he had the wisdom to put a plan in place so that things could can continue on. And we ought not just do that as a church, but in every Sunday school class, we ought to be thinking about who, who is the next person that will continue on here. We ought to be training people, whether it's in our families or in our church, in a business Think about the trouble that happens when somebody takes over as the next president or the next owner and they're a bum compared to their dad or mom that used to run the company. Oh, it happens. He was looking at his days and he knew that they were numbered and he had things to pass on. The second thing was to take a stand for truth. Take a stand for truth. David charged Solomon to be strong. And though Solomon's reign would not be plagued with physical war, battle was coming, morally, spiritually, against wickedness, against the idolatry and the false gods of the nations around them, and against the lust that was in Solomon's own heart. He may never need to take up arms, and you may never need to take up arms. God forbid we should ever have to do that in defending our homeland. But... We will face battle every day. And there is a need to stand to be strong. As this society grows increasingly wicked, we're going to have to stand for truth. We're going to have to stand for truth in our homes. Gentlemen, ladies, if you've got children, they are constantly going to push the boundaries. They will never be happy with the limits that you set for them. 
They'll want to watch more. They'll want to play more. They'll want to listen to more. They'll want to view things that they ought not. They'll want to use language that they ought not. They'll want to listen to music that they ought not listen to. And every day they're going to push a little bit further and a little bit further asking for, for more and more freedom to do things they ought not do. And it's going to take a robust strength and a commitment to pass on truth to the next generation. To stand against the tide of that. It will wear you down. Stand. Say no. You're not there to be their best friend. You're there to shepherd their heart on behalf of the Lord. He didn't give you them to keep. He gave you them to train, to get ready, so that they might face the battles that are ahead of them. And they may not like that you put limits on them, and they may not get to do what all of their friends get to do, and they're constantly trying to sneak around and find a different way, and you've got to try and plug that hole that you found, and it's another, I've got to discipline them again, and I've got to discipline her again, and we've got to do these things again. Keep the fight. It's worth it. Don't give up. Don't give up. I can't tell you the number of people that eventually come around in their mid-20s, and they come back to their parents, and they're like, you know what? You weren't an idiot. I thought you were an idiot. I thought you didn't understand, and I thought you didn't know anything. And then something happens, and they start to realize what they have, that they had been given by having a home in which they were protected. And they may have forced against the, the boundaries, thinking that they were locked in. They weren't locked in. The wickedness of this world, the enemy that seeks to devour them, was locked out. Very different. Maybe not just in your home, but in the workplace. And I know you have to walk a fine line at times. People should know where you stand. You don't have to preach at everybody on the job site. You don't have to try and fix everybody's business. And they don't even have to like what you believe, but everybody ought to know where you stand. We should speak up for truth when we can. We should speak up for what's right when we can. We should speak the truth in love. It's easier to keep your head down. It's easier to not make waves. It's easier just to let the filthy jokes go and, and the conversation go. And I'm just going to go out with the guys and we're just going to have a drink after work. And I'm just, I want to fit in and I want to I wanna bond with them. And these ladies are gossiping and all of that. And if I, I don't want to create a thing because then they're going to gossip about me. And I'm just going to sit here and endure it. No. The day of the luxury of having weak men and women has passed us by. Someone once said, and though it was in a fiction book, it rings true, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. We're in a place where weak men have created hard times for us. People weak in character, weak in integrity, people weak in standing up for what's right, bowing down to the loudest voices though it's just a minority, we, we are standing at this gap here, this precipice. And the day for strong men and for strong women is this day. And it will look like you are a jerk. It will look like you are uncaring, like you were behind the times. But that's what happens when you stand for truth in a world that's running as fast as they can towards error. When you stand for what's right with a world that's running as fast as it can for what's wrong. I want you to know that you are in good company. 
you are in very good company. Because God himself became a man and lived a sinless life on this earth. Revealed to us God the Father. And he was still the enemy of a bunch of people. Good people. People who thought they had the moral right and the moral high ground. And he was still the enemy. You are in very good company if when you stand, people don't like you. We don't do it so that people don't like us, but we recognize that this is what happens. If you have no enemies, something is wrong. The only way you can have no enemies is to do nothing and to say nothing and to think nothing. If you take a stand in any place, you'll find yourself resistant. Your friendships, your workplace, the classroom. Solomon did not stand strong. And it ruined the country. Take a stand for truth. Finally, obey God's word and prosper. Obey God's word and prosper. David said that Solomon's success depended upon what he did with God's word. That he would prosper everywhere and in every endeavor. That he would have an heir to the throne. What was the condition? He had to keep God's word. He had to do the things that were set before him. Does my daily life, does your daily life, does your walk line up with God's word? I'm not asking you to be perfect, but what I am asking you to do is to battle against sin and to strive for what is right and to do it in the strength of the Lord that he's promised. If you and I have repeated unrepentant sin in our lives, we should not be surprised when things don't work out. If you're hiding something and you haven't come clean about it because you're embarrassed, if you're hiding something and you haven't dealt with it and brought it up before God because you enjoy it and you don't want to stop, I want you to know it's probably not gone well for you. Not that every problem that you and I have is some problem because we've disobeyed the Lord, but there are times when God himself resists us. You've seen the, the little picture of the older brother and the younger brother. And the older brother has his hand out and it's pressed upon the forehead of the younger brother. And the younger brother's trying to make his way forward and he's swinging his arms. And the older brother's just sitting there like, take your time, when you're done, let me know. The Lord resists the proud. The way of the transgressor is hard. And though you may do right, I'm not promising that you won't have any problems, but I am saying that you will enjoy the blessing of God in those problems. I'm not saying the path will always be easy, but you will have a path and you will have a guide. I'm not saying that prosperity is always going to look like Solomon's wealth. In fact, the prosperity that you experience might be far greater than Solomon's wealth because there are many things that wealth cannot buy. And in fact, Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He asked for wisdom. We'll speak about that next week. How much money does it take in order to know who you should marry, what job you should pursue, how you should deal with the conflict in your home? How much money does that take? How much money does that take to have a good relationship with your children? How much money does that cost? How much money does it cost to have peace at the end of the day? You say, those things can't be bought with money. Exactly. Nothing wrong with money, and if God has given it to you, amen. Make sure that you tithe. But prosperity can look like protection of things that you and I don't even understand are coming our way. The joy of the Lord 
I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? I want to thank you for your good attention today. We have in our church what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God is speaking to you about. And I don't know what God is speaking to you about. Perhaps there's something that was just on your mind while I was preaching God's word and you couldn't get it off of your mind. Maybe there's something that you've been battling all week long. Maybe it's something that just got your attention. Whatever it is, I want you to know it's not me. It really isn't me because I have no idea what's going on. Some of you may feel like, it felt, Pastor, like you were in my business today. No, that was the Spirit of God in your business, and I praise Him for it. Praise God He doesn't leave us alone <laughs> until we've gotten rid of the things that are destroying us from within. Praise God He doesn't leave us alone until we've put those things in our life that give us real purpose and joy and treasures in heaven. If you're here today, and perhaps God is speaking to you about making the decision to trust Christ as Savior. You're not sure that you're saved. You're not 100% sure that heaven is your home. That when this life is over and you take your last breath here, you're going to take your first breath in heaven. If that's you, I want you to know you can have peace today. You can have peace with God. You can have peace in your own heart. You can be cleansed. It felt like it's been forever since you felt clean because of your thoughts and your words and the things that you've done. It felt like forever since you've been right. I want you to know that Jesus Christ has promised that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come today and be saved. Come today and be made clean. Christian, is there unrepentant sin in your life? Today is the day in your own heart and mind to confess it to God. These stairs, this altar, this place of surrender is open to you. Make use of it. Maybe you're here today and you've not been strong. You've not stood where you need to stand. You've let things go in your home and you've let things go in your relationships and maybe you've let things go on the job site. You've let things go in standing where you ought to be with your friends. And you say, God helping me today I'm, I'm make, it's going to be different. The Lord will be my strength and I'm going to stand for what's right. I'm going to speak up when I need to speak up. I'll do it right, the right time and the right spirit. But the days of being silent, the days of being weak are over. You say, Lord, help me to be strong. Is there anyone here like that? I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down? Lord, pray for me. I want to be strong. Amen. I see your hands. Time is over. It's time for strong men, strong women. We're in a battle. Anybody else like that? Lord, help me to be strong. Just slip your hand up right back down. I want to pray for you. Amen. I see your hands. The Lord sees them more importantly. Is there something in your life that ought not be there? You know it ought not be there because you know what God thinks of it. Is there something in your life that you know you ought to be doing and you're not doing it? You say, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to miss my opportunity by living in open rebellion miss out on the blessing 
miss out on the, the prospering, whether it's spiritual, financial, or otherwise. Say, Lord, help me. Today, I'm purposing in your strength and by your power, this thing is going to get right. Whether you're adding something in, whether you're removing something, you're saying, Lord, help me in it. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down? I want to pray for you. Say, Lord, help me. This thing is missing and it needs to be in there and I'm putting it in. Amen. Lord, there's something in there that ought not be here. Help me to take it out. You just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Amen. I'm done with it. Amen. Father, we take this time of invitation, these decisions that have been made, these hands that have been raised, the, the working of your spirit and hearts. We ask that you would seal these things and grow them, keep the enemy from snatching them away or the world choking it out. I pray that you would be glorified in how your children say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.